Take your Bible, and uh, we're going to be in uh, Philippians chapter 4, and uh, that's where we're going to stake our claim. We're going to walk through that passage a little bit like we did this morning in Ephesians 2, but Philippians chapter 4. But before we go there, find a little bit more of an obscure book, the book of Ecclesiastes, and uh, get past Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. So if you open in the middle, you're going to end up somewhere in Psalms or Proverbs. Keep going to the right, find the book of Ecclesiastes. I love the book of Ecclesiastes, and uh, for all the right reasons, the book of Ecclesiastes is basically you could sum it up in in the wisest opinion of life under the sun. And uh, as God has been just working in my heart about a handful of things, I would add to that life under the curse. So life under the sun, uh, so long as Jesus hasn't returned, is going to be life under the curse. And uh, so as we observe the book of Ecclesiastes, what you're finding is God allowing Solomon to retain his wisdom and observe what life is like under the curse. And uh, it's a pretty dismal book, uh, but it's a tremendous book to learn from. And Solomon sets out to try his hand at everything uh, to make his heart happy. And he finds that life is just one exercise after another. He calls it forced labor. And uh, he says, this sore travail. It's, a, it's just one day after another of struggling forward. And so if you've ever struggled with figuring out where value is in life, the book of Ecclesiastes can do one of two things. It'll either super depress you or very much encourage you. And uh, so we're going to shoot after it this morning or this evening first. So tonight we're going after the war in our mind. And uh, Philippians chapter 4 verses 4 through 9 contain what I would consider to be a bit of a battle plan uh, on how to win the war in that particular battleground. And uh, how many recognize that the battle of the mind is not an easily won or an easily fought battle. And it's one of those things that, man, you've got it down one day and you are way behind the ball the next day. And uh, one, you know, you're in service on Sunday and your heart is strong and, man, you're ready to charge hell with a squirt gun. And by Monday at, you know, 930 in the morning, you're just, you're ready to throw in the towel and quit. And uh, it is a volatile place to win a war. And uh, Philippians chapter four is going to give us some input and some insight on how to win that war. Uh, I do want to, in a moment, we're going to read that after we get through Ecclesiastes and just a second, but I want to try to teach us from that passage this evening on how to kind of um, kind of activate that into our life, appropriate that into our life. How do we how do we mobilize what we're going to find in Philippians chapter four in a very practical, real life kind of nuts and bolts way? And uh, I do want to say this: um, uh, I, I wrote this message uh, two Mondays ago, and I forgot that I wasn't preaching last Sunday. And I thought I was going to preach on Sunday night, and then I remembered, man, brother Stensis was here. But let me kind of tell you where the origin of the message is, because it very much applies to the present day of our church. Uh, I didn't write it for today. I wrote it for two weeks. Ago. Um, I, I don't often write sermons for the present, you know, situation or situations in our church. I'm not afraid to do that. I will. Uh, but this is a message God gave me personally two weeks ago. And now I think corporately it applies very much so to our present day. And uh, if the Lord will give me power and you will give me space, uh, I plan to kind of show you how to use Philippians 4 and the six things we're going to see in that passage on, on, on how we can kind of win this war or at least free our mind from some of the bondage that we are uh, under. Let me say this. There is some real turmoil in life under the sun. Would you agree? Um, life is not easy. Uh, it is few days and full of trouble, as Job said. Uh, sometimes the pressures and stress and just the, the negativity of life can seem extremely unrelenting. And I, 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 you probably didn't come to church tonight to be discouraged, and I, I don't want you to be, but I do want you to recognize, at least with me and, and affirm alongside me, that life can be, uh, it can be overwhelming sometimes. And the circumstances or just the, the, the bad things that kind of compound upon itself. And, and sometimes we just find ourselves 
yourself in, in difficult situations. Some of you this, this evening, you're in the middle of that. And I mentioned a little bit in Sunday school, uh, there's some heavy burdens present in our church family just from an overseer position. I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, divulge uh, or break confidence or anything. And some of it's not necessarily to be held in confidence, but there's just burdens. There's anniversaries and there's heartbreak and there's disappointment and the curse of sin visiting in, in many different ways. In fact, for some reason, and I don't know why particularly, but the Lord woke me up with just a heavy heart for our church people this morning. Um, I lost that extra hour of sleep, right? I got up at 4.30 on my own and uh, just laid in bed for about an hour just praying for God's people and, and a heaviness in my heart. And Sunday school came and had a hard time preaching this morning in Sunday school. And maybe one or two, you could tell, just a lump in my throat and a burden in my heart for the people of God. And uh, like I said, I wrote this message two weeks ago with the intention of preaching it last Sunday night. But I hope that I can help every single one of us whether you're in a fire or going into a fire, you either are or will be soon in some kind of trial. And my hope is to help us through the scripture prepare for those hardest parts of life because we would all have to recognize, and this is why we're going to Ecclesiastes, that life is seasonal. I hope we realize that, that there are supposed to be seasons of victory and there's going to be seasons of, of discouragement and sometimes even feels like a defeat. Um, these are parallel tracks to the same railway. And I hope you'll recognize that. Uh, you cannot get to where God is creating you to be without both of these tracks. And we always want to ride on one, right? We wish life was, you know, blessed and easy and careful and, and carefree. But again, one of the greatest statements that Solomon makes in all the book of Ecclesiastes is that the house of mourning is better than the house of feasting because by sorrow of heart, the heart is made stronger. And uh, we don't want that. I don't want that. But it's part of the human experience and it's part of what God has made making us into. We want the power of his resurrection, but in order to get there, we must fellowship with suffering. It is a part of the process. So before we get to Philippians 4 and how to approach the hard seasons, I really want to use Ecclesiastes to kind of settle the terms of the war that we're in. And uh, let's go after it. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse number 1, uh, just again to settle your expectations. Uh, because expectations are one of those things. If you get too high of expectations when reality hits, man, it's, it's a double whammy, right? Not only is life hard, but you expected it not to be hard, and then you're really reeling from uh, those, those uh, disappointments. But Ecclesiastes chapter 3 is one of the most famous chapters in the entire book, and it's a small book, but really when, I think the Beatles actually wrote an entire song on Ecclesiastes chapter 3. It's the only spiritual thing they ever did. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 3 says this, to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. And he's about to list the things that you and I can expect as we walk through this life. Now, I wish, I really do, I wish this list would only include a time to be born. I wish this list would only include a time to, to laugh and a time to dance. But that's just not the reality of life under the sun, or as I would say it, life under the curse. Because of the fall of man, yes, Jesus is redeeming us and reshaping us and reforming us back into the image, but until King Jesus comes back and takes this world over, this world is still broken and under its curse. And someday, praise God, Jesus is going to come back and reform it all and remake the world, and he'll be king over all of the earth and over everything. He is now, but he will be then in very tangible ways. But until then, we're still under the curse. Look at verse number two. There's a purpose to everything, a time for every season. It says a time to be born and a time to die. Just, just about nine or 10 days ago, uh, I experienced both of these to some degree or another. About, uh, I, I think it was last Friday, I went and visited Joy Abigail Phillips, and I got to meet the newest member of Faith Baptist Church. Three days later, I sat with a family in my office dealing with the your days are numbered diagnosis. There's a time to be born and a time to die. One I love, the other has splintered my heart every day since. 
This dichotomy of life and ministry is something every one of us experience, right? There are highs and there are lows. There is new life and then there is burial. It's inescapable. It is what life is under the sun. He says in verse 2, a time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. And I really wish that weren't so. I love laughter. I really do. I, I enjoy good laughter. I enjoy good, clean comedy even. There's, there's some, some you know, things that my wife and I will watch that's you know, clean comedy. I don't watch any of that other bad stuff. But there's some good, clean, comedic that'll just, man, it's fun to go to bed having laughed you know, your head off with your spouse. That's a blessing. It's like a medicine to your heart. But the fact of the matter is, sometimes that's not the language of your heart. Sometimes the language of your heart is broken. Sometimes the language of your heart is only tears. Sometimes we, we know not what to say and thank God he'll make intercession for us because we can't find the words in those moments of grief. That's just a part of the curse. Verse five, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. And that's speaking about relationships. Hey, there's a time to build walls and there's a time to, to tear those walls down. There's a time to hug and there's a time to not hug. A time to get in verse number six and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to rend and a time to sow and a time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time of war and a time of peace. Life has moments of absolute beauty, but also moments of absolute brokenness. You're rejoicing, and it, it's, it's tough because you switch tracks so quickly. You're rejoicing one moment in what the Lord is doing, and then you are blindsided by just the depravity of man and the wickedness of sin. One moment, you're touched by the love of a friend. The next moment, you're crushed by the words of a critic. Uh, your beautiful plan fulfilled will fill your heart with you know, joy and swell, and then all of a sudden, disappointment and broken dreams take the winds right out of your sails. And listen, I'll say this, you're not alone in that experience. In fact, just read the next, we won't, but you could read the next verses 9 through 11 in that same chapter, and you're going to find that, that Solomon is explicitly saying no one escapes this. No one, no one is not exercised by this sore travail. That's the very next verse. I think it's verse number nine. He says, every man is under that. Uh, they're going to be exercised by the work. And then in verse number 10 again. So listen, the, the, the fact of the matter is there's ups and there's downs. There's blessings and there's burdens. There's rejoicing and there's brokenness. And that takes a toll on the human heart. A lot of times what I see, and I see this in myself, and I don't mean to say like, even I can do it. I'm just saying as a human, I have done this before. We kind of see the situations in front of us. We survey the battlefield, if you will. We, we check the landscape and we kind of come up with, uh, if we continue at this pace, and man, there's a continued heartbreak and continued disappointment. And man, person after person, we, we kind of come up with two options and both of them are wrong. We come up with the option that says, well, listen, I can die inside, become a little bit jaded, recluse myself and hide from everybody and nobody can hurt me. Sounds like a super viable option sometimes, if I'm just being honest with you. <laughs> the other option is we can just lay down, take the beating, become overwhelmed and paralyzed. But in both of these extremes, we're no good to anyone. We're self-focused. We're focused on healing ourselves. We're focused on trying to, trying to soothe our own brokenness. But, but how do we navigate it then? If neither of these two options are the extreme or that are correct, how do we navigate the seasons of life under the curse that you and I find ourselves? And that's where we find Philippians chapter four to be a powerful battle plan in approaching the war of your mind and my mind as well. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and we'll jump right into our passage. We're gonna read it in its entirety and then we're gonna go back and unpack each verse and try to learn six different things. So Father, would you guide us today? Lord, I know that you're doing a work in my heart, and I pray, God, you'll do this work the same in, in their hearts today. 
Lord, I have no more burdens than they do. In fact, much of the burdens I carry are, are the burdens of the people seated in the room tonight. I pray, Father, that you would help us, God, to navigate these properly. I pray, God, that you'd give us great wisdom. I pray you'd give a great peace. Father, my heart, my heart mourns, Lord. You, you know, God, the situations and the people and the circumstances and just, just the piling of, of, Lord, I don't even know how to say it. Just the, sometimes it feels like carnage. Sometimes it just feels like baggage. Just stacking up on the lives and hearts of your people. But God, you're doing something beautiful through it. And I pray, God, that we would have the courage and just the, the commitment, God, to be willing to, to sometimes just endure life. Well, we want to flourish. We certainly do. And you designed us to, to have life and to have it more abundantly. That's absolutely right. But God, sometimes as a soldier, we just endure the hardness of life. And I pray, God, that you'd give us wisdom in navigating and knowing exactly when to do what. But I pray, God, through the preaching and the teaching of your word tonight, uh, that you would allow us, God, to at least have some tools in our bag uh, to know how to navigate some of these things straight from the scripture. And uh, Lord, there's some really contradictory truths in this passage. And Lord, you know my heart when I say that. I'm not saying contradicting itself. I'm saying what I find in scripture is not what my normal heart wants. And uh, what my normal heart responds is not what I find in scripture. And I pray that you would help us, Lord, to properly align our heart to the the plan you've given here in this passage. And God, guide us. Thank you for this text. Thank you for giving it to me personally, God, in my, my moment of prayer and just praying through this passage that you brought to mind and God, how you built out this, this thought for myself and now for our church family. And Lord, I pray God that we would eat tonight and that our, our hearts would be full. And uh, Father, we'd be prepared to know the way ahead uh, just from the scripture, God. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. So again, let's get back to our passage. We're going to go to uh, Philippians chapter 4 and uh, verse number 4. We'll start there. We're going to read straight, straight through verse 4 through verse number 9, if you will. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, Rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with, read the word, my least favorite word in that entire passage. I'm being serious with you. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which, thou hath, hath, which, uh, which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you tucked right into that passage. And I'm sure if the Holy Spirit, I know he's, in, I trust that he's inside of you. And if he's inside of you, I'm sure he started clicking some light bulbs on as we read through some of those passages. And so it won't be brand new as we walk through some of this. This again is a very common passage, very famous passage. It's also a passage that I think is oftentimes misinterpreted or not applied properly. And so tonight we're going to take a moment and look at six things to take home, six tips to navigate the seasons of life, the hardest seasons of life, uh, six effective battle plan strategies. I don't know what you want to call it. Just six things we're going to take home to say, hey, if I'm going to win the war in my heart, uh, my heart is prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. It's prone to discouragement. It's prone to anxiety. It's prone to frustration. Wherever you pick your poison, wherever that is for you tonight, uh, you're going to find six things the Bible teaches us that we can apply and appropriate and, and kind of activate. And you can say weaponize uh, in this passage in a battle plan on how to win this war for your mind. So let's chase down our very first one. It's found in verse number four, our first verse of the night. Philippians chapter four, verse number four says, rejoice in the Lord 
Always and again, I say rejoice. It's a common verse, right? It's we sing a song about it. Rejoice in the Lord always and again. I say rejoice. Now that's easy, but here's what it's teaching us. It's teaching us that in the battle of our mind, in the battle for our joy, our starting point is recognizing that Jesus is the only place we can get rejoicing from. That we must go to Jesus to receive rejoicing, and then we must do it again, and we must do it again. And we must do it again. Let me say this. I wish our joy, our, the joy of Christian living was like salvation. That you got it one time and it never went away. That you got it one time and it was enough for everything you would ever face again. Now the joy of the Lord is your strength, but the fact of the matter is you go to Jesus and you receive your joy and then you step back out into life and the waves just can cover you depending on the situation or the circumstance or the week that you find yourself in. I wish that we could receive just like salvation, the joy of the Lord and that nothing would ever tarnish it and that nothing would ever deplete its supply. That's how it is with salvation. You got saved by grace and nothing depletes that. There's enough grace that covers all your sin, past, present, and future. You're forever saved, but joy doesn't always work that way. We go to Jesus and rejoice in the Lord always, but then we got to kind of go back and do it again. And again, I say, go back and get that joy all over again. And that's just not how life works. Joy is not as durable as our salvation. Uh, That's not even sometimes how a 24-hour period works, right? You might start out the day, and this has happened a few times the last couple weeks, but uh, you start out my day in my office, and man, I'm rejoicing in the Lord, and I'm praying, and I'm turning my burdens over to God, and I'm receiving sufficient strength for the day. And man, you walk out into the office, or you walk into the office at work, and then all of a sudden, bam, you are faced with something that strips your joy. That's just how, excuse me, that's just how life is. But what scripture admonishes me to do is first, go to him for rejoicing. And second, do it again. Go back. When you you step out of your prayer closet and go into the workspace, and man, you had all this joy from Sunday, and you step into the workplace on Monday, you're doing okay, you're doing fine. Lunch comes, you're doing okay. And then after lunchtime, it's just, there's no more joy. Well, rejoice in the Lord then. Go back to him and receive more joy. Rejoicing comes from Jesus. And yes, when that rejoicing runs out, there's still Jesus who has enough to give you more joy. And that's not anecdotal. That's not just some fake pretend thing. That's scriptural. Listen, if we trust in tomorrow to bring rejoicing, I mean, you know not what a day may bring forth. You get laid off tomorrow. That that absolutely could happen. Listen, we are setting ourselves up for rejoicing when we rejoice in any other place then Jesus, rejoice in the Lord. Listen, if we trust in any other human being, our spouse, our friends at church, our pastor to bring us rejoicing, we are setting ourselves up for a guaranteed disappointment. I'm not gonna ask for a show of hands, but how many of you have been disappointed by me before? Don't raise your hands. Because then I have to raise my hand. This goes both ways. How many of you have been disappointed by your spouse? How many of you have disappointed your spouse? How many have been disappointed by your kids? Okay, I'll tell you this. I don't know which kid it is, but you probably guess. One of my kids one time said, Dad, I wish you were like Bluey. And I said, or I, I wish you were like Bluey's dad. I said, I wish you were like Bluey. It's like, take that, child. So I don't know. I feel like if need be, go again and get your joy from Jesus. And so if you're here today and you're lacking some rejoicing, go to Jesus and get that joy. And then tomorrow when it wears out, go back to Jesus and get some joy. I always liken it to this. We did it the other day. My wife and I, I don't know, it was like Wednesday night or something. We stopped. Oh, it was the, it was the morning. We stopped into the grocery store and I told my wife, I said, we need a grocery, we need a shopping cart. She's like, no, 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 we're just grabbing a couple things. And then tri-tip was on sale. So I'm like, all right, just grabbing a couple things. 
Of course, we didn't get a cart. So I told my wife, I said, you're carrying it all. And I was a bad husband. I just wanted to prove the point. I did end up carrying it, but I did make her carry like the case of water she wanted. And uh, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But when you go into your day without the joy of Jesus on the front end of it, you're going with the expectation you can carry it all. And we weren't made to do that. So the very first thing we learn of six is to start your rejoice or start your joy from Jesus. So on into verse number five, we're going to find our second tip in navigating the hurts of life under the curse. Verse five, let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Now, again, this is a passage that is oftentimes misunderstood and oftentimes uh, uh, misapplied. People read this verse in verse number five to say, well, don't be flashy. Let your, be a moderate person and don't be flashy. You know, the Lord is watching. That's not what that word means at all. The word moderation actually means leniency. What he's saying is don't be ungracious. Don't be strict. He says, be moderate, be lenient in your expectation of others. So here's what the Bible's saying in context. Be lenient and gracious toward others in terms of your expectation. And here's why. The Lord is at hand. He's watching your moderation toward other people. He's watching the standard through which you hold them to, or uh, to which you hold them to. One of the surest ways to be utterly disgusted by humanity is to hold too high of a bar, to set unreasonable expectations that they're never going to mess up, that they're always going to communicate perfectly, you know, right? Like it's like the the newly married husband that says, baby, I'm never going to make you cry today, maybe. One of the surest ways to be disappointed by people is to hold too high of an expectation, to, to expect they'll never be selfish and they'll always give you the benefit of the doubt. But the fact of the matter is when they inevitably and invariably fail to jump to the perfect standard, all that is going to be left is disappointment. And the same is true of life when all we, we set out in life and expect that it's just going to be sunshine and rainbows and prosperity. And I'm certain nobody in our church thinks that. That's a very prosperity gospel thing, which is, again, is contrary to scripture. But again, the Bible tells us to let our moderation be known unto all men. To set a gracious standard toward people that, you know what, man, I love Brother Lombardi. I'm so grateful for Brother Lombardi, but at some point, Brother Lombardi's probably going to mess up and disappoint me. And I'm probably going to mess up and disappoint Brother Lombardi. And I'm setting, the Bible's not advocating that we walk through life with cynicism. They're like, everybody's terrible. They're all trash bags. I just expect you to disappoint me. That's not what it's advocating for. It is advocating for the word moderation, leniency to set an expectation that includes and factors in a measurable grace and measurable forgiveness. So I would encourage you, number two, we find to let your moderation be known to all men. That's that's how we can win this war in our mind. Verse number six, we're going to move on to. This is the deep water stuff, okay? We're about to come upon a contradiction of what should be, and then for for the majority of us, what we normally would be, okay? You're going to find, this is, this is where a preacher would say, this is Easy preaching and hard living. This is verse number six. Look what he says. Be careful for nothing. Now that, that, is, that is not an admonishment to a reckless eight-year-old. You know, like just, just run out into the street and get the ball. It's not, careful means full of care. So he says, be full of care for nothing. Okay. <laughs> Some of us right now are full of care over things. And not even just one thing, but multiple things, right? We're full of care for that. And then we, you know, we run out of real estate over here. So we start being full of care for this. Again, not a contradiction so much, but there's there's obviously a contrast between what the Bible wants me to do and what I do. So he says, be careful for nothing, but, so rather than being care-filled over things, but in everything, and that's the hardest part of this verse, okay? Because it's easy to be thankful and prayerful over good things. 
but it doesn't, it's not talking about good things. It's not the focus. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with, read the word, thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. Number three, in the war for our mind, we are supposed to be prayerful and thankful for everything that comes into our life. Listen, prayerful gratitude over everything is really, really hard to do. It's easy to be grateful over the good things. It's easy to have grateful prayer when you get the raise. Oh God, you've been so good. What is that? That's grateful prayer. I have prayer. Uh, There's no need for supplication. Supplication is a strong groaning of spirit as you pray, but I'm prayerful and I'm thankful over the good things, man. That is easy, but it's way harder to be grateful over the things that naturally fill us with care, which is what he's talking about. Now, again, No doubt, Paul is including, when he says everything, he's including the good night sleeps and the compliments from the friend and the extra time with your spouse and kids. That's part of everything. But the purpose of the text, what he's specifically calling out and instructing us to do is to react with thankful prayer toward the things that fill us with care, to the things that overwhelm us. And I do not pretend that that is easy. Think about it. What naturally fills your heart with dread? or care? What would keep you up at night? We could all start our own personal list, okay? And thankfully, you don't have to be the preacher, so I'll, I'll go with some of my own lists, right? So it's easy to be stressed out about maybe financial troubles, or health concerns, criticism or gossip of other people, conflicts with people that you genuinely love, areas where you fail and you know your shortcomings are there. And that's a hard one. Unmet expectations, discomfort. Those are all legitimate things that cause our heart to be full of care. And there are plenty more things you could add to this list and I could add to the list. But in Philippians chapter four, verse six, Paul doesn't try to distract us from that reality. I wish he did. Now he'll talk about focusing on good things in a minute, but in verse number six, he says, he doesn't say, ignore it, pretend it's not there. Rather, he calls us to give thanks over everything, to have prayer and come to God and make our requests known with a grateful heart. And I just, I wonder, how can that be? How can that be? Again, we know God never calls us to something he doesn't equip us to accomplish. So how am I supposed to accomplish that? The stuff that keeps me up at night, the stuff that bothers me, the stuff that causes great dread and worry in my heart, just like yours, how can it be realistic that I'm supposed to have a grateful, prayer-filled heart? Well, let me say carefully, and I, I want to be, be careful about this. Sometimes that's not realistic in the moment, okay? And if we're not careful, sometimes we can force that on someone struggling. Hey, hey, I know, you're, I know you're heartbroken right now, but you need to be thankful. Sometimes in the moment that doesn't, that doesn't compute. And God's okay with that, right? And I want to say that. So don't, don't apply this. Don't misapply this. Don't force that. Uh, be moderate toward all men. Set the bar and expectation at a reasonable level. But I will say the Bible does give us some instruction on how gratitude can be found even under the curse. So how, how can I do what Ephesians chapter 5 verse 20 says? This is another passage. It says, give thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In 2 Timothy, he does the same thing. Thankful for all things. So it's definitely in there. How do we do that? How is it in the struggle for our mind, we can be grateful and not just ignore the bad things, but be grateful for these things. How is it we can do that? Well, I found one reason in our text, and I could have a bunch more, but really there's just two the Lord put in my heart. And forgive me, these are just the the outpourings of my heart. Number one, we should be thankful because no matter the variables, because we can always go to God. That's what the text is saying. Look at it again in verse six. He says, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Here's why we can be grateful. Let your requests be made known unto God. It's not a burden we have to carry alone. 
There's never been a mile you've walked where you walked by yourself. There's never been a circumstance you faced that he didn't stand beside you. There's never been a heartache that's come into your life that he didn't first uh, filter uh, through his plan. Now, again, that doesn't mean that he chose it. It doesn't mean that he chose someone to hurt you or abuse you. He didn't pick that, but he, excuse me, he knew it was coming. And he hears the cry of a grateful heart and the supplications of a tear-filled heart that say, God, I'm trusting you with this and I'm grateful I can lay the burden down. So maybe in the moment, it's hard to be grateful for the thing, but at very least have thanksgiving that through prayer and supplication, you can make your request be made known unto God. And he hears the cry of your heart. And that ought to produce a measurable level of gratitude. So be thankful because you can make your request be made known. And again, we could have added more to this, but this one is, is a well-documented truth. This is why I picked just two, is we can have thanksgiving in all things, including the things that fill us with care, knowing that they are working on shaping us into the image of Christ. We talked a lot about that this morning, but I'm just going to give you, and if you're, if you've got a pen and paper, you can write down the references. I promise you won't be able to turn fast enough and you can take that as a dare. That's fine. Um, we're going to go to James chapter number one. I'm going to read for you just a bunch of different passages that teach us this reality that Christ is being formed in us in our hardest moments. Okay. And they're not the common verses, right? We know that all things work together for good. You know, Romans 8, 28. It's not those. These are some, some of the more out of, out of the, the norm passages. So if you want to, James 1, 1 Peter 4, Philippians 1, 1 Peter 5, Romans 5. Okay, so we're going to do, somebody said it this way, it's accuracy by volume, right? And I guess in the military, they, they just accuracy by volume to some enemy forces. If I throw enough lead that way, I'm going to get somebody. Uh, that's kind of what I'm doing. I'm going to throw enough scripture out there that hopefully one of these are going to uh, stick in your heart. And maybe all of them will, but man, if you grab onto one thing and tune me out for the rest of the day, as long as you're not balancing your checkbook, if you're going to meditate on that thought, then hey, I'm fine. You can tune me out. But James chapter one, verse two, uh, two through four. My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations. Just a bunch of different problems, essentially. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire and wanting nothing. Christ is trying to equip you into the fullness of his image through the trial of your faith. 1 Peter 4, 12 through, uh, 1 Peter 4, 12 through 13. Beloved, think it not a strange thing, the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. He says, don't be startled when, when hardship comes as a Christian. He says, but rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. Philippians 1.29, you might be able to turn there. You're in Philippians 4. For unto you is given in, beha in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. 1 Peter 5.10. For the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that you have suffered a while, so he says, hey, this is going to happen. It's part of Christian living. But after you've suffered for a little while, he's going to make you perfect. Establish, strengthen, and settle you. That's your expectation, Christian, that yes, you're going to walk through it. And God is aware of that. And you're going to suffer for a little while. But after the fact, he's going to make you perfect. And he's going to establish you. And he's going to strengthen you. And he's going to settle you. So he is forming something in you through suffering. Romans chapter 5, verse number 3 through 4 says this. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations, which again is crazy to me sometimes. Glory in tribulations also, knowing that the tribulation worketh patience. And patience experience and experience hope. Now, we could spend an entire service just on that one verse. Just, you know, why don't you go there? Romans chapter 5, verse 4. Verse 3 and 4. I'll give you a chance, because I really do want you to see this pro progression. 
Romans chapter 5, verse 3 and 4. He says, and not only so, we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. So when you go through a hardship, you know what God is teaching you? Patience. You know, someone said, never pray for patience. You'll get tribulation. Yeah, it's true, but isn't patience a good thing? Now, again, I don't, I'm just going to say, patience is not a part of my daily prayer request, but sometimes I do pray for patience, knowing that tribulation is going to come. But tribulation brings patience. And notice what patience brings, experience. You know, some of my favorite people to get counsel from are the, the, the war horses. They've been around a long time. They've gone through tribulations. They've had patience. And patience works, what does it work? Experience. experience. They know, hey, it's going to be all right. It's not that big of a deal. No, but it feels like a huge deal. How does someone know it's not going to be a big deal? Because tribulation brought patience, and patience brought uh, experience. And then notice what experience brings. Hope. I've walked through this trial before. I know God's coming through. How do you know God's coming through? Because he came through last time, and he came through every other time, and he came through every time in the Bible, and he's never failed now, or never failed before. It'd be a weird time for God to mess up and and forget me. It'd be the first time in the history of humanity God ever failed. And how do we get that? Well, through tribulation. Tribulation working patience and patience experience and experience hope. So how does that work practically? Let's, let's, let's apply this to our heart and life. Well, let's talk about finances. Some in the room are going to have their heart filled with care over finances. Here's my admonishment to you. How can we have a grateful heart in that? Well, recognize it's a trial of your faith. And the trial of your faith is more precious than that of gold. Which, again, if I ask the normal person, hey, do you want... You know, a handful of gold or the trial of your faith? Everybody's like, give me the handful of gold, pastor. But he said that the trial of your faith is more precious than a handful of gold. Yeah, but I need gold to solve my problems. No, tribulations are teaching you things you wouldn't have ever otherwise learned. So I can have gratitude. Maybe there's a physical malady. Yes, you are being brought by, by that, that hardship into a special new level or low of weakness. But it's in that weakness, thereby the manifestation of his perfect strength is known because his strength is made perfect in your weakness. It's made complete because now it's completely needed and now you completely have it. Maybe there's criticism and conflict. And these are two of my least favorite things um, to to walk through. Um, But it is possible because think about Joseph. They may have meant it for evil, but God is doing something good with it. You're becoming more like Christ. And learning to die to yourself. You're having an opportunity to extend mercy like your Redeemer did to you when you didn't deserve it. Think about discomfort. The Lord is leading you to a new level of usability that otherwise you would not have possessed. Listen, if hardship allows Christ to be formed in me, then there is at least something I can be thankful for. And listen, it just requires a bit of retraining of our hearts. Our heart desires comfort, right? Right, we want the lazy chair, uh, you know, at the gym, there's an entire room where people can just go and sit in like a, a, a massage chair. <laughs> it's funny because people walk in and walk straight to that room. And I'm like, what are you doing? That's because our flesh wants comfort. We want it easy. We hate rejection and hardship and instability. But those are the things Philippians 4, 6 admonishes us to be thankful and prayerful about. So how do we find victory in the struggle of our minds? Number one, Find your rejoicing in Christ over and over and over again. Number two, be lenient toward other people. Number three, have a thankful heart rather than one filled with care. Number four, we're going to keep going. There are more tools to put into the bag. Number four, let his peace be enough for you, okay? Look at verse number seven. It starts with the word and. 
and is inferring there's a sequential order. So if I told you, hey, I want you to grab my Bible and then put it on my desk, right? You can't put something on my desk unless you first grab my Bible. And so all the things we just learned and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So as I am grateful and prayerful and releasing it to God with a thankful heart, now all of a sudden his peace becomes enough for me if I allow it to be enough for me. I'll say this, so long as I allow it to be enough for me. Because here's the promise a Christian possesses. I can come to God, I can lay my burdens down, I can rejoice in him again and again, and I can walk into my life with a grateful heart and the peace of God that passeth all understanding shall keep my heart and mind through Christ Jesus so long as I let it. The problem comes when we start picking up burdens again. We start having all kinds of troubles when we start getting away from Jesus again. I was talking with Brother Gray, and I'm glad you're here, Brother Gray. He's taking off Tuesday, so pray for him as they drive. But I was talking to Brother Gray the other night. We were at his house and dropping off a cake or something. And, and he told me this crazy story. I hope I can share it. See, it's got to be outside of the statutes of limitations for your grandpa and CPS. But he told me, he said, when he was a little kid, his grandpa uh, would take him out fishing at like 12 o'clock in the morning. And uh, he would, uh, there in West Virginia, and he'd take little John Gray, and uh, I just see Brother Gray just shrunk down. I don't see him as a kid. I just see Brother Gray tiny. And he'd take little Brother Gray, and he'd, he'd say, hey, let's go fishing. And he'd set him on a rock in the middle of a river. And he'd say, stay here, I'll be back. And then Grandpa would go fishing. And then Grandpa would show back up hours later and find miniature Brother Gray sitting on a rock. Can you see the visual of me? It's pretty sweet, Yeah. I said, okay, number one, where was CPS? Okay, and number two, how is that even safe? We talked about it in Brother Gray. It's like, the rock never moved. I just stayed where I was. Here's the thing. The rock was enough to keep him safe so long as he stayed on the rock. And the peace of God is enough to hold you throughout your day so long as you stay on the rock. The problem comes when we get off. The problem comes when we get into the river that is too strong for us. It's not too strong for our God, but he's going to have to carry us from the rock to the shore. And so long as we stay where we were put, we will be okay. And the Bible tells us in Philippians 4, 7, we were put inside of the peace of God and it will sustain us so long as we allow it. God has given us enough grace for the day. The problem is we keep borrowing from tomorrow's burdens into today's grace. Matthew chapter 6, verse 34 gives us this exactly. Jesus speaking, take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient to the day is the evil thereof. You catch what he said? He said, there's enough problems in tomorrow. You'll have to face then. Don't think about tomorrow. It's got more evil than you can handle with today's evil. So listen, church family, and this is, again, it's so much easier to preach than it is to live. We have enough burdens right now. We don't need to live out the worst case scenarios of tomorrow. Yeah, but what if? Yeah, but right now, there's enough peace and enough grace. It will stop borrowing from tomorrow's burdens. Today's grace is sufficient and today's peace is sufficient for the day. And so let's stop trying to figure out how we're going to solve every problem in four years from now. Let's start walking in the grace of God available to us today. And Jesus said, don't take thought of tomorrow. It's got its own issues. You'll worry about it when you get there and I'll be with you there. But right now there's enough evil over there. There's enough evil in your day. Walk in my grace available to you. We're almost done. We got two more tips to win the battle of your mind. Number five, we're going to find it in verse number eight. This is real practical. Control where you allow your mind to go. Um, I say that knowing how hard that is to do sometimes. It is easy to let your mind wander. 
I'm speaking from experience, right? To kind of blow up conflicts and blow up the what ifs and play out the worst case scenarios. It is very easy to let our mind go to the evils of tomorrow or even the evils of later today. But the fact of the matter is in verse number eight, what we're going to find is that we are responsible to police our own minds. Look at verse number eight. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are, and read this word out loud, true. Whatsoever things are, whatsoever things are, whatsoever things are, whatsoever things are, whatsoever things are of, if there be any, if there be any, read it out loud. Think on these things. Force your mind here is what he said. Arrest your attention to that which is good. Bring into captivity every thought and imagination that exalts itself against God. How does it do that? Your thoughts and imaginations don't say, well, I'm God and you're not. No, your imaginations say, I'm overwhelming. He can't stop it. Your imaginations say, you're not going to make it. He can't take care of you. Your imagination is exalting itself against God. The Lord says, bring it into captivity. Think on good things. The human mind was not designed to sustain unrelenting negativity is not designed that way. You know why? You know how I know that? We're sheep. Sheep are not load-bearing animals. Yeah. You don't ride a sheep. You don't lade in a sheep with your, your goods. Sheep are not load-bearing animals. Listen, find something in the, hard, in the hard moments of your life. Find something lovely to focus on. Something honest to dwell upon. Something lovely of good report, virtue. If there's praise there, then go there. If there's, if there's virtue there, then go there. Find something beautiful and of good report to dwell upon. Let me just say this. Sidebar, this is why I don't watch the news anymore. You say, are you Amish, Pastor? I'm working on it. The fact of the matter is, if you watch the news, everyone's your enemy. Everyone's going to die. Vote for this person because they'll save us all. No news channel, doesn't matter how conservative or leftward leaning, no news channel meets that criteria. Everyone's going to die. You're going to see constant steady flow of people dying, people dead, bodies over here. This conflict is the new problem, and we're all going to die. How in the world do you live in a society so broken and sit down every night before bed and watch the world burn? That does not meet the criteria here. Practically speaking, how do we, how do we think on lovely, beautiful things? Well, I'm going to let the Holy Spirit guide you in that, but I've got one written down. Moms and dads, perhaps it'd be a good thing just to set the phone down, the social media, just go watch your kids. Go watch your grandkids play. and Just inherit the goodness of God. You remember that back in the garden, right? That we were made to love each other, made to have relationships. That's a trip right back to the garden. Go on a walk with your wife. Just enjoy the goodness of God. Sure, there is heartache, but there is comfort commensurate to the heartache. In fact, 2 Corinthians 1.5 says that. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation or our comfort also aboundeth by Christ. So yes, there's going to be a swelling of heartache, but there's a sufficiency of grace available as well. Look at verse number nine, and we'll round out our study in verse number nine. These things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. See, it sounds like when you read that verse, that's a whole nother thought. No, no, no. He, he, he bookends it with the God of peace, right? We've been chasing that whole thing this whole time. Peace of God to pass all understanding. And he says, this is how the God of peace is with you. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do. Christian, I'll say this. How do we win the wars of our mind? Do the right thing. Do what God reveals to be right. Emotions are a grossly fickle thing. No one feels like 
eating right, working out. No one feels like rejoicing in hardship, right? But doing what is right, emotions will come around. If you're going to write down any verse, if this is your, if this is what God's speaking to you about, write down Proverbs chapter 16, verse three. He says, commit thy works unto the Lord and thy thoughts shall be established. He says, you do what you're supposed to do and your heart will come. It'll catch up. You do what you're supposed to do and you'll feel like you're supposed to do it later. Can I just say, not doing the right thing when you're hurting is the worst prescription possible. How do you know that, pastor? Well, I have been the senior pastor for nine years. I've been in full-time vocational ministry for 12 and a half. I have watched people when they hurt, pull away. And that has never helped. Not a single solitary case. And the people in this room who have, have experienced that, and maybe at a time of foolishness, decided to recluse, could absolutely testify to this far better than I could. But I have watched families destroyed because emotionally we weren't in this. I just tell you, there are times as your pastor, I'm not emotionally in the right place. You're like, or up here, I get it. But emotionally, there's times where I'm, I don't want to be at, at church. There's times I don't want to pastor or pour out or give more or, or you know, I'll be careful. <laughs> there's just seasons, right? Asaph got that way. He's like, man, there's times I don't want to do this. There's times I don't want to do this. But if I don't show up, who's preaching, <laughs> right? If I don't go soul winning, who's going to reach him? If I don't do what I'm supposed to do, who's going to do it? And yes, there are times, there are times, believe me, that I wish I could lay my sword above the mantle and just not deal with it. But God called us to something. And he's equipped us to win the war in our hearts and our minds. And until such day as we have peace within our ears, do what's right. Commit your works to the Lord and your heart will catch up. The heart is a fickle thing, right? And if you allow your heart to be your guide, you're going to end up in all kinds of horrible places because the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked above all things and who can know it. So I encourage you, number one, you have six things. Number one, find your rejoicing in Jesus over and over again. Number two, be moderate towards people. Be lenient. Expect that there's going to be failures and you're going to have them too. Number three, be thankful and prayerful in laying down your burdens. Number four, let his peace keep you. Stay on that rock. Number five, control where you let your mind go. And then number six, do what is right. Your heart will catch up. Let's pray.